Every Arizona homeowner's best friend. And it all has to do with you. Thanks for tuning in. It's Rosie on the house. Your weekend wake-up tradition. I talk to the tree. Stop and hear what I say. Come on around back, Arizona. It is Saturday morning, 8 o'clock. It's Rosie on the house, your outdoor living hour. Saturday morning tradition for 32 years, second Saturday of the month, which means we are talking trees. ISA certified arborists John Eisenhower, Sarah Maitland from Save a Tree are in the studio. If you'd like to talk trees, one 767 4348 That's 1-888-ROSIE for you. When the auto attendant answers, just hit the number one button. You'll bypass the auto attendant to put you right in the studio to the call screener. You can text questions to 411-923 if you need to snap a picture, a little plant or insect identification you need help with. You can email that to info at rosieonthehouse.com. And John, we have always uh, starting off a tree of the month. We do. Our tree of the month is a twisted myrtle, Myrtus communis, which is a very common uh, shrub or small tree uh, going back many, many uh, centuries, if not millennia, uh, back to uh, it's a Mediterranean uh, plant widely used throughout the Roman Empire and uh, kind of native to kind of uh, southwestern Europe. But what a, um, a, a, a versatile little little plant. We love the twisted myrtle. There's a couple of varieties of myrtle, which are smaller little hedges that are suitable for, for shearing and uh, making it you know, in more of a formal uh, landscape. You see them quite often in a, in a formal garden uh, you know, throughout Europe and, and, and in America as well. Uh, but the one that we are featuring today is the twisted myrtle, which is the uh, myrtle, uh, the, the variety called Boetica. And it's, a, it's more of a, a tree-shaped form. It has more of an open canopy. It's not a little boxy, uh, a geometric-shaped uh, shrub like the, like the smaller uh, dwarf version. This is the one that grows up to, uh, to 15 feet in height. It's got this beautiful kind of a, uh, a shedding, appealing bark, which is just really beautiful and attractive. But it's really cool. It's got a, a evergreen, fragrant leaf. Um, and it's it's one of those trees that's on our short list of smaller trees. If you're looking for that small, uh, a, a tree that's not going to outgrow its uh, its uh, planting location, uh, it's one of those that, that will be a, a very a relatively slow growing, but it's not going to ever outgrow one of those locations where you say, oh, no, um, I've got a monster on my hands now, a tiger by the tail. Um, how many um, of, our, of our listeners uh, can can relate to having one of those trees like we've had in our yard where it's a beautiful tree, it grows up, it achieves its landscape purpose, and then you wish you could just freeze it in that at that size and at that height and spread, and then it just it defies your every ability you have to try to control it, and you've got this tiger by the tail for the next who who knows how many years. Well, a uh, um, a twisted myrtle is not going to be one of those trees. It's going to be one of those trees that will be a beautiful accent tree, beautiful architecturally. Like I said, fragrant, evergreen leaves. There's not a, a lot not to like. It's more of a specimen type of a plant because it's real unique in the way it twists and turns and goes in different directions. It's it's not uniform in, in its growth habit at all. Yeah, they're just, you know, you know, don't expect it to achieve its landscape purpose real quickly. 
But if you want to take some time with the tree in the next 10 years to have a beautiful 8, 6 to 8 to 10 foot, uh, beautiful uh, shrub-like tree, multi, usually multi-stemmed um, with some really unique variety, uh, that twisted um, quality is, is what really people really love about them. And you will not be disappointed. It's, uh, it really delivers aesthetically uh, to any, any landscape. And it's really drought tolerant, too. Um, usually requires full sun um, or partial sun. Doesn't like shade. Likes a well-drained soil, but it can, it can survive in pretty crappy soil in terms of quality. But it does need to be well-drained. Uh, but, yeah, really a, an adaptable uh, little, little tree. And is it, is, I'm assuming it's an evergreen? It is. Yeah, so it holds its its leaves all winter, uh, which is a quality some people like. You know, we've got several of those small sort of patio-like trees that we've we've uh, we've talked about on the program here, like the chase tree and others that are um, deciduous, so they lose their leaves in the in the winter. So, a lot of people are here for the winter, and they like you know who are only here for the winter, uh, prefer trees that are going to have some foliage during the the winter season, and this would be one of those that's going to have a green foliage all year long and that is your twisted myrtle twisted myrtle check it out at the nurseries yeah you, you'll you'll find them most uh, local nurseries will have them on hand and and uh but it's the cultivar boetica that's what you want to look for yeah you yeah. Do, be sure you don't just ask for the common myrtle uh, uh but ask for the uh twisted myrtle which is the taller tree uh tree form which is grows a little taller and straighter and if you follow along in our home maintenance calendar, that's something you will, we provide to you, the Arizona homeowner, uh, free of charge. You just, upon request, let us know the address you'd like us to send it to, and we'll drop it in the mail. If you're looking at your February's calendar, you know our topic today. We have a tree of the month, which we just covered, the Twisted Myrtle, but we also have a uh, topic of the month. And you often say, as go the roots, so go the shoots, and today we're talking about the soil analysis of... Uh, you know, where you're planting your tree. We're not really tree growers. We're uh, soil uh, cultivators. Yes, it's true. Yeah. I mean, it's all about the soil. You know, we're trying to improve the soil conditions, growing conditions, so that no matter what you're planting, uh, you've got a a, a a head start. You know, if you have poor poor quality soil, it's tough. You know, you've got to, there's only a few trees that can handle those sort of conditions. But yeah, we wanted to try to improve those soil conditions and Getting a soil analysis is just a good starting place. We do a lot of soil analysis where we, uh, you know, go into a, into a property and uh, collect some soil uh, from various par- places in the yard, uh, send it into the laboratory for analysis, and it gives us some baseline uh, information about the plant, your pH, your, your basic nutrient levels, um, calcium-magnesium ratio, some really, you know, uh, uh, good information to get us started if we want to do some fertilization, we really uh, don't like to, they say that, um, you know, uh, prescription without diagnosis is malpractice. So we can't really do diagnosis and, and tell you what you need unless we have some kind of baseline information. You know, trees are going to, and all plants will benefit from a certain number of macronutrients. But, you know, to really dial it in and get a, a, a nice uh, prescription for what your yard needs, uh, starting with a soil analysis is a good place. And how much soil are we talking about? How deep do I have to dig? Where do I send it? How much does that test cost? Yeah, you want to... Well, you usually go about six inches deep, and you go in four or five places and randomly through, you know, spread it throughout the yard. Go six six inches deep. You mix it all together, 
and then you take a small amount of that in a bag and you can send it to, there's a few different um, labs, IAS is one, um, Mott's lab is one, the University of Arizona has, um, the extension has a, has a place where you can also send things. Usually we, we get, get about a quart Ziploc bag full of soil is usually enough. And that's, uh, yeah, they have a process where they process that soil and dry it. And then they do their analysis and send you back a nice little written report that kind of tell, gives you some of the uh, information and sometimes some recommendations on, on how you should respond to the report. And the turnaround time obviously depends on how many, you know, other soil tests or tests they have in front of you and how fast they have the ability to process those. But once they actually have your soil, I mean, how long does it take a, a soil analysis? Is this a two-hour lab process? Is this a two-minute lab process? I have no idea. <laughs> well, no. The, the turnaround time on the labs is usually about a week, you know, and the uh, the cost is something under $100. It just depends. Sometimes it can be $50, $50 $60, dollars $70, but anywhere, anywhere up to about $100. But it's if you do that once every few years, you know, and, and maybe even once, especially if you're a, a new homeowner and you kind of want to know what you're it's, – it's money well spent because you have this baseline to work from. And uh, sometimes people get a, a, a sample in the backyard and then a sample in the front yard. If you've got a large property and you've had a lot of construction, you're not sure what's happened with the topsoil and uh, you've got a lot of soil turnover in the, in the yard – uh, and that in that finished landscape, it might de, you might do well to take a couple of samples and send those in. But as I said, money well spent because um, getting a, your uh, that those uh, nutrient analysis dialed in on the front end um, will really help you with your fertilization program going forward. I think Arizona Landscape Contractors Association on their website has a list of all the labs that you can send things to. And what is that? That's alka.org, I think. It's alkaaz.org. Alkaaz. Something like that. Alka, Arizona, Arizona Landscape, Landscape Contractors Association. Yeah. Got a lot of really good information there and on tree planting, too. And you had mentioned new construction. Not really a putting stink on any particular trade or builder or anything, uh, but it is something you have to watch and monitor. Uh, because you could find places in your yard where maybe the concrete truck cleaned out the last yeah. uh Oh, cement you know, slurry is like poison <laughs> to trees. Or where the painting contractor decided to clean out his uh, paint bucket and mixer. Yeah. You could, f- And then the, the excavators, as they come back by, they just cover all that up. And yeah. you, know, you could be planting on top of a, a, a construction site clean out that's never going to yield you anything. Like yeah. you said, the cement is like poison to it. Cement to... slurry, yeah. It's like poison to trees. But in addition, the construction is also the compaction and the disruption of the root zones. And there's a lot that that goes against you in a situation like that. Yeah, we've had a few homeowners that have had plants that have died one after another in that same location. And we realize, you know, hey, there there are some problems here, <laughs> you know, on this on this construction site. And sure, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's good to get um, get a good good soil analysis to get started, and then you can start your fertilization program going forward from there. One triple eight seven six seven four three four eight. That's one triple eight. Rosie, for you, if you'd like to talk trees.
Tree of the month is the twisted myrtle. And go like this. Now I don't know if twisted myrtle is on the list, but if you happen to be in SRP territory, you could be, get a new tree. It's there. Uh, they do this, I think, pretty annually. Um, about mm-hmm. this time of year, they have an incentive for people in their district to come get trees. I think they're usually Palo Verdes. And well, there's actually five species they okay. offer. Okay. Including desert willow, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, SRP has a tree planting workshop, and you can go on the website and you can sign up, and you can get two free trees depending on, I think, the size of your home. Um, and there's a program that's now offered as a webinar, but it used to be a, a community thing where you went and you listened to the seminar, and then you got a free tree, and you could pick what you wanted. Now um, it's all online. Yeah, it's all online, but it's a it's a webinar, and it talks about how to plant a tree correctly, how to place place it correctly, as far and as you the, know. Do you want shade? Do you want um, something deciduous that lets the winter sun in, and shade in the summer? Um, and so there's a, it's a whole program, and planting a tree correctly is the most important part of planting a tree. <laughs> and the main criteria is you need to be an SRP customer. And you just need to attend one of those online workshops. They have two of them coming up, one on the 24th of, of uh, February, and one on – that's on a Wednesday, and then one on Saturday, March 6th. So there's two more. So get on the SRP website, uh, jump on there, register. They're free events. Uh, and you, once you attend those webinars, then you qualify for the free, uh, the free trees. Yeah, and I think they're going to set up a parking lot kind of thing where you just drive up and pick your tree, and they put it in your car. And um, yeah, it's run by Trees Matter. If you're new to Arizona, SRP is Salt River Project, one of the utility providers here, and one of the only, if not the only, that's both a water and a power supplier uh, for most people. Now, uh, I, APS provides both my water and my uh, power, which is unusual because our water comes from a private well so we have to the electricity to pump the water out therefore (laughs) makes them our water provider but they're not they're not generally somebody that delivers water srp actually delivers water and delivers power to a number of residents across arizona and it's srp.net you if you are paying your utilities to srp you can qualify for this program get a tree there's another big tree initiative have you seen what they're trying to do in tucson the Southwest Society for American Foresters, the Southern Arizona Palo Verde Chapter, and the Arizona Community Tree Council prevents Tucson's Million Tree Initiative. They're trying to plant a million trees by 2030, so that's you know, 100,000 trees a year for the next 10 years that they're trying to get in the ground to increase awesome. the tree canopy. That is awesome. You'd also mention, though, that sometimes these big tree initiatives become big uh, – Wood chipping initiatives, because <laughs> well, if they're not planted correctly, like Sarah was saying, and and that's what these workshops are for, is to assure that these planting projects are going to be successful. It's a shame that if these big uh, greening projects become big browning projects, you know, with all these trees that that we uh, ambitiously put in across our cities don't survive, and then uh, it's just a waste of everyone's time. But no, I we're hats off to Tucson for. Uh, such a, uh, an ambitious effort to get those million trees in the ground by uh, 2030. Um, you know, we it, every summer 
we have these big monsoon storms and it just wipes out all these trees and and you, you it's like a war zone driving across some neighborhood seeing all these trees down so any tree we can do any any effort we can make to to replace those trees that are lost every year through storms and other things just normal mortality uh, is 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 really great especially in our desert climate when we have so many uh, such a need for shade and uh, uh, you know uh, reducing that um, that uh, uh, what's that the effect uh, with the summer and the the concrete and the the heat island effect you know in, in our in our municipalities where we have so much uh, so much heat so it's uh, awesome glad um, to hear Tucson's yeah, neighborhoods that, that have trees um, the temperatures drop like seven degrees compared to the heat islands. And it's not just trees, it's shrubs and smaller plants, and you create microclimates, and it really helps um, make it a better temperature in your neighborhood overall. Um, if a million people plant one tree and do it right, you know, we'll have... Well, yeah, you know, you mentioned too, and we ought to give a little shout out again to Trees Matter, uh, Amy, uh, who's the uh, director there, and and the many volunteers that have really helped uh, that organization is really at the forefront of getting a lot of trees out in the Phoenix area as well. So, um, yeah, in fact, Phoenix has a very ambitious tree planning project along, I believe it's a 30-year uh, plan to see a lot of trees get in the ground as well. Maybe one of these uh, weeks will feature that program as well and how you can get involved in, in volunteering to get some trees uh, going. You can also go online. There's a book called Landscape Plants of Arizona Desert. And what we have to think about with all these increasing temperatures that we are getting, you know, it's a real thing, um, is to get a tree that's going to live for 10 years and 20 years and be able to live in this environment. So it's a good source to look for what kind of tree you want. The free tree planting with SRP, I think they give you a Chilean mesquite, a blue Palo Verde, a little leaf Palo Verde, a desert willow, and I think an acacia salicina, or a willow acacia, is the other tree that you can pick from. All great southwest, desert, tolerant, yeah, arid. All adapted to our climate. We're talking trees with Save a Tree, John Eisenhower and Sarah Maitland in studio. If you'd like to join the conversation, one 767 4348 We have a lot of talking points coming up. Pruning, uh, citrus, we've got renovation and rejuvenating pruning fertilizing and resetting our irrigation timers all here at Rosie on the house talking about the SRP program want to update the website it's srpnet.com srpnet and do a search trees for the workshop That's also at the community calendar at rosieonthehouse.com. Just scroll down on the bottom right-hand side, all upcoming events. We finally have events to post again. We've also got the events tab on the top. So we've got it posted there, or you can go directly to their website, however uh, you get there. But we have our talking points. We need to rifle through a number of these before we run out of time. This hour always goes faster than... Uh, it does. <laughs> and, and you know, this is such a, a, a prime time for so many things. This date today, the 12th of February, uh, is so close to that, that magic date of, of February 15th, which is sort of our 
uh, average last day of frost for the Phoenix area. That might be a little bit later in, for the Tucson area. Uh, but we have a um, check your local area for the average last day of frost because that's the day that you can begin uh, doing some pruning. You can cut back your frost damage. You can begin to do the hard pruning on some of your shrubs that you want to control the si- control their size. It's time for rejuvenation pruning, restoration pruning, where you're going to be doing that radical pruning or possibly just uh, thinning heavily to try to bring some of those larger shrubs under control. So if this by, is kind of our prime time, you know. If by some chance we do end up with a frost, it's not going to be long enough or hard enough to do any real damage. Yeah, and you want to look look out, you know, if we had a, a frost warning coming up in the next week or so, definitely look out on your calendar because that would uh, push that, this, that, that date back a week or two. But um, if we don't have a frost warning, uh, this is kind of your green light to begin to do more pruning in the spring. And what are we doing in pruning? You don't have to do it if your tree doesn't need it. What, what are you looking for when, when we say, okay, it's time to prune. I'm looking at my tree. What, what am I trying to decipher here? And, and how do you, you know, what's the proper thinning? I've got a couple mulberries mm-hmm. that I look at. And I'm like, man, it seems like there's a lot of branches in there. I could thin that out. But I'm like, does it need it? I don't know. Good, good, good question. And, and just because we have the green light doesn't mean you have to, be, you have to go. Uh, because there are some, some of you who have those trees, those plants, uh, that that generally like your uh, your yellow bells, orange jubilee, and others that usually freeze back this time of year, and because they haven't, because we had a very mild winter, this might be the year that you don't want to prune them back because you want to see them get a little bit taller. Then, should we have a freeze next year, you've allowed that tree to grow without any any heavy pruning, so that the following year it, the freeze will be less damaging to the plant. Because if we cut them back every year, then uh, they're going to freeze, uh, you know, from the from the outside in, and you know this might be the year to give that tree that extra year of 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 height and spread, so that um, in the in the in the coming years uh, that tree will never uh, uh, freeze back to the ground and die. Uh, I would I'm speaking especially of of those of you who own uh, ficus trees. This would be a great time to let those go and grow, uh, let them get um, ahead of the. Um, the growth, um, because if you've got younger ficus trees, they're very susceptible to getting frozen all the way back to the ground, and you lose your entire tree. So this would be that good year to let them put on as much foliage as they can and uh, you know, be a little more light-handed on your pruning. On your pruning, you have a note that says renovation and rejuvenation. What is, what is rejuvenating pruning? Well, it's part of sustainable landscape management, and with shrubs, it it's based on species, but usually you want to renovate them, you know, at least down to one-third, clean out all the old canes, open up the crown of the plant at least every three to five years, and it gets the opportunity for light to penetrate all the way to the base of the plant. The plant will grow back more naturally and have a lot more flowers and actually use less water. And bougavillas are one of those that you can go beyond a third. I mean, you can cut that down ground level. Well, they usually freeze <laughs> ground level, but yeah, and that's that's usually when we do that with our fairy dusters and others that and and lantana that just they freeze all the way to the ground, so you you have no choice. But there are some shrubs that that can be pruned even if they don't freeze back, can be cut even more than a third uh, to control their size, and. Um, you know, you can sometimes dictate the size that you want your shrub to, 
to be at, at maturity at full height by how, how deeply you prune it in the, in the spring. And again, it's species specific. You can't, be, can't do that to all shrubs, but some of them l- lend themselves to a little bit heavier pruning. And, uh, and this would be the time to do that. It's a good way to eliminate the shearing. You know, if you have shrubs that have been sheared and sheared and sheared and they, um, they only grow on the outside and they're all full of sticks in the middle, renovating and letting them start to grow more natural is, is beneficial for them. And this is a really a good time for pruning citrus as well because if you're, you're pruning now before the citrus bloom, so you're not going to be affecting so many, uh, so many flowers. You don't want to wait till they're in full bloom and during the pruning process knock all the flowers onto the ground and lose your fruit. But you're also pruning soon enough so that you allow the tree to recover a little bit before the, the hot, hot weather comes. Because you can wait until your fruit hardens off and, you're, uh, and then do a little bit of pruning. But you definitely want to go lighter on the pruning the further into the summer we get on your citrus. So that we, we always count February 15th as sort of the starting point for beginning to prune citrus. For the next month or so is the ideal time because you'll, as I said, prune them before they put on a blossom. And Valentine Day is also one of those days, when, speaking of citrus, that uh, historically have been used as one of the three trigger dates for fertilizing. Right. We talk about those three dates, Valentine's Day, <clears throat> Memorial Day, and Labor Day, as being a great uh, uh, calendar days for uh, reminding yourself to fertilize your citrus. And we have a, an early, a mid, and a late fertilizing program with Save a Tree that it follows that pretty much that same pattern. Because there are certain things that the tree needs, mainly nitrogen in the spring. We usually have like we have a kelp treatment in the in the in the summer, and then a little lighter nitrogen, more heavier on the phosphorus and potassium in the fall. So we kind of which really helps root development in those winter months. And you know, with the three uh, fertilizing programs, it's just so good for your plants to get your full fruit production on your citrus and your other fruit trees, and of course, uh, in, encouraging. Uh, your your bloom and your blossom on all of your your flowering plants and shrubs. Now I still have a lot of fruit on my citrus, especially my lemons. Uh, my pink lady grapefruit still has a lot. Uh, I think we've cleaned up all of our oranges for the most part. Uh, but on those that still have hanging fruit, um, do I wait on those or go ahead and cut them? And, and any fruit that falls off on a branch, I cut just be ready to squeeze it that day. Yeah, you know, you might want to just hold off your pruning on your citrus trees that have ha, still have fruit on them uh, during the bloom cycle. You know, during those two or three or four weeks of, of citrus blooming, just be careful because if you're picking the fruit, you're going to be knocking off the, the, the blossoms. But yes, there's some like your our Valencia oranges, which uh, which uh, sweeten so late in the year, you're going to they'll carry the fruit all the way till May and June. And if you eat them now, they're a little bit tart, a little bit bitter. Um, so, uh, yeah, we have a Valencia orange that I just thought it was a lousy orange tree in my yard. Until I've realized, <laughs> no, it, 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 it wasn't going to get fully sweet until May or June. And I have an Arizona sweet that, that sweetens almost immediately. And I was, we were enjoying that fruit as early as January. So, yeah, those, some of those late sweetening fruits... Um, uh, let you, yeah, let those stay on the tree. So consequently, you'll have two generations of fruit on the tree at the same time. You'll have those oranges that quite, haven't quite sweetened yet that you're going to be able to enjoy all the way into the early summer. But you'll get that new fruit that's developing in April um, uh, after the bloom. 
So you'll have those the new fruit and the old fruit on the tree at the same time. We had a listener email a couple pictures of an orange tree wanting to know, if is there what help can I give it or should I replace it? And I'll pass this picture around, but it looks like it's up against a wall. So it's planted in a very, uh, very tight area for growth, but it also looks pretty young. And citrus generally don't produce until third or fourth year. You'll get some earlier, but I mean, they really start producing good after they've been established for a few years. And even once they're established, any new growth that comes out on citrus, that isn't where your fruit comes on. It Citrus produce on old wood. Yeah, it's hard to tell. It looks like a, quite a small uh, small tree, and it looks like there's some thrips damage. I can see some uh, leaves are a little mottled and, and, and uh, deformed, and a little probably some nutrient issues too. I can tell with some little chlorosis. Yeah, but I, I see a little bit of dieback on it too. And you know, a lot of times we get tip dieback when we have uh, overwatering situations, phytophthora in the soil. It looks overall it looks healthy enough to. I would yeah, I would say get some nitrogen. Give on that it. A, give that tree an opportunity to go and grow. We appreciate the calls and we've uh, or your questions, whether it's email, that's info at rosyonthehouse.com. Text questions, you can send a 411-923, or like that case where she was wanted to send us a picture to get our opinion on her citrus tree. That's sent to info at rosyonthehouse.com. We've got uh, irrigation. We finally had some rain in uh, the last the last month, which was wonderful. I had my lawn sprinklers off for almost three weeks. I just turned them back on this week. Uh, just started to irrigate the trees again. Uh, but man, it, there's just something about that natural rain. Everything just greens up so naturally by itself yeah. that following week. Really I think your mic's off. There you go. We do love that, to have our um, uh, that natural rainfall. And speaking of which, we really encourage people as best you can to try to mimic rainfall with your, your, with your irrigation system, which is less frequent, deep watering. And how do you achieve that? You can do it with bubblers, which is kind of, the, I think, the best way to um, irrigate your trees if you can, to have basically a flood irrigation over the surface as widely, as broadly as you can around the tree. That mimics nature as best you can. If you have a drip irrigation system, which are so common, probably 80% of our listeners probably have drip irrigation for their trees and shrubs, uh, you can dial those in. You can get really a great program. But remember, try to go as deeply as you can to the entire depth of the root zone every time you water, and then water as infrequently as you can. Don't, if you're going to be adjusting your timer right now, uh, be sure that you're adding more uh, don't just add more days to the cycles. Actually add more time to your current cycle. So if you have a 20-minute cycle, push it out to 30 minutes. Uh, so you're getting a little bit deeper saturation because you're, gonna, you're, you're getting a lot more evaporation off the soil with the increased so, uh, air temperatures. So what you want to do is keep that nice deep uh, saturation level. Don't just throw another day or so on the cycle. That's going to end up having that same shallow watering uh, and more frequently can set up conditions for fungal pathogens. On my drip irrigation for the trees that we do have set up on drip, the timer box itself, it stops at six hours. You know, it's not uncommon for me in the you know extreme summertime to have two cycles go back to back. There you go. You know yeah. I mean? It'll go for 12 hours on, 
on the larger trees in the the heat of the summer. Especially yeah. if you get runoff from your irrigation. Um, so you can do three cycles in one day so you it soaks in. There's a really good book um, or a flyer sure. called Watering by Numbers. And it shows that you use a soil probe to determine the depth of your water. It's hard to say how many minutes. Um, mm-hmm. You take a probe and you put it in the soil. If it's moist, it goes in easy. If it's hard as a rock, it's dry. And so that's how you can determine how long you have to let it go to get to that depth of three feet for trees and then, you know, work it that way. And a soil probe isn't, uh, you know, a screwdriver or a dowel. I mean, these It can be a big, long screwdriver. Yeah, it could be a piece of lawn ornament, you know, that has a... your flowers, your ground (laughs) cover, and your your small shrubs, a long screwdriver can work. But for the trees, they're an actual three foot long fiberglass. And And you can get them online. Um, Lowe's has some, but they kind of take soil out of them. But the U of A extension office was selling them. I think if you call them, they'll sell it to you through the door. Now, ideally, you you like the root zone to be able to dry out between waterings. You never want to put water on top of water on top of water. That sets up conditions for fungal pathogens. You're not doing your plants any favor because the 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 soil profile needs oxygen as much as it needs water. And if you're just drowning it with water continually, you've got a problem. Now, I told you no more surprises, but I I forgot I did have something that I pulled out yesterday when I, <laughs> I've got, you know, all different files of information. So this is my tree file. This is my agriculture file. This is my gardening. This is my uh, urban farming. This is my home improvement. This is my manufacturer. Well, out of my tree pile, uh, I've got a new favorite card game out of there from, lo and behold, Save a Tree. And it's Trivia. And I had this one out of there from, and, and it's categorized in three areas, general knowledge, tree facts, but this one's out of the science. And we'll include the listeners on this. Get ready to text. It's a multiple choice que- question. Text the answer to 411923. And at the end of this segment, we'll pick a random right winner. And uh, I don't know, a million dollars or other fine prizes. <laughs> <laughs> or other fine prizes. Where's my or phone? Other, the other fine prize. <laughs> I might get see, that maybe, right. It's some kudos from your radio listeners. Our most popular item at our e-store this week was the Thorn Armor pruning gloves. They're puncture-proof gloves that work great if you're rose pruning or trimming mesquites or uh, Texas ebony's, you know, one of those trees that are notorious for a lot of thorns. They're great for protecting your hands. So we'll we'll send you a pair of Thorn Armor gloves. That's a nice nice gift. So here's here's the question, and then I'll give the multiple choice questions. answers and then text whichever one you think is the right answer. Which tree are is so old they are credited with calibrating and providing the accuracy of the carbon dating method for determining the age of living organisms? Is it A, the Bristol Cone Pine, B, Live Oak, C, Coast Redwood, or D, Bonsai? So those are your four. I'll read them again. A, Bristol Cone Pine, B, Live Oak, C, Coast Redwood, or D, Bonsai. Text whichever one you think is the right answer to 411923, and we'll pick a random right winner at the end of this segment, uh, which is going to be riveting because we're talking about bugs. <laughs> it is a riveting section here. 
this is not only our growing season, but our insect season too. Um, some of our yards provide a bit of a smorgasbord for uh, insects that are flying uh, across the uh, the community, and uh, they drop in on those uh, yards that are well kept and well watered and well fertilized. Yes. So you have to. That is the downside, but it's upside too. It's nice to have a a, a nice um, a nice population of of insects in your yard because a lot of them are beneficial insects. You're going to get a few of the the rascals in there too, like your psyllids on your cascalotes. And your caterpillars, on your yeah. bougainvilleas, your tacomas, and then your flat-headed boars uh, are, you know, they have a, a wide uh, wide variety of hosts, but on some of your trees. And then, of course, spider mites. And Yeah. Um, preventatives are going to be the way to go with a lot of those insects. The cascalotes, the psyllids, we get really good results if we treat ahead on that with a systemic insecticide. But the genetic because you want the, you want the, the the technical product to be there when the insects arrive. Yeah. Otherwise, you're kind of chasing the insects after any of the been sucking, there. piercing um, insects like aphids and and um, psyllids. You you want to get that product into the tree's root system, have it systemically translocated. The bug bites the tree. The bug you know doesn't flourish. Um, and then the the other ones with the genestra caterpillars that just tear up the Tacomas and the Bougainvilleas. There's different species of the Genestra, but Tacomas, Bougainvilleas, and, and what else was the, the Genestra? So, oh, Sephoras. Yeah, the um, t- Texas, Mount, Texas Mountain Laurels. We've been doing um, one, one spray a month for three months, and you have no problems with any of the Genestra caterpillars. And it's a really safe product. Um, we You know, you can use a dipeller or a spinosa is what we use very safe for the environment, and and very effective on, on preventing those bugs. Yeah, quite often we get our um, customers calling us after the insects have already devastated their landscape. And it's a little hard when we're chasing those insects after they've already uh, arrived and done their damage. So, yeah, if you can get some of that product out. It's just like with our, 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 um, our weevils. Um, again, if we do those... Yeah. Those March and is it a March and a March May treatment? May. March and May. If you want to knock out that life cycle of the agave snout weevil, it's March and May. Applications of a minocloprid or, or a systemic insecticide, and that's that's the timing. So if you have you some valuable agaves in your yard and, and you've had some problems with weevils um, or you don't want to have problems with weevils, just that preventative treatment, just once in March and May, you can get out ahead of that and not not wait until your agaves start dying. And this is also the time to schedule your olive stop to prevent olive fruiting. Yes, good time to get on the calendar to get those olives sprayed if you don't want them dropping olives all over your yard. And it's Save a Tree with S-A-V-A-T-R-E-E dot com to schedule with... Uh, your local branch here. We've got John Eisenhower and Sarah Maitland. Thanks for talking trees with us. It's been fun. Saveatree.com. <laughs>